0: This podcast is focused on educating operators, building better systems, and becoming a best-in-class operator. Be sure to join our Facebook group, Asset Management Mastery, where we have a great community of thousands of like-minded individuals sharing resources and best practices. Choosing the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated, if you know who to talk to. At the Garzella Group, we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have. And we're committed to saving you 30% in the process. We do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't. We should talk. Go to quotenow.biz and we'll start the conversation. Today on the podcast, we have Brandon Hall. Welcome, Brandon.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on, Gary. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Could you start by telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you do?
1: Sure. So I'm a CPA. I run a CPA firm called the Real Estate CPA. We service around 700 clients or so nationwide. And I have a team of 21 people. We're currently in the middle of hiring an additional eight. So we're growing relatively quickly. Got to get additional capacity in there for our team. Yeah, I've been doing this since started the firm in 2015 and just really heavily involved with tax planning, tax compliance, accounting services for real estate investors. My time today at least, I focus a lot on doing these podcasts, a lot of education for people that are out there. Really just trying to help bring some clarity to the overly complex tax code and I'm a real estate investor myself. I have about 25 units, I believe. I always say about because it's like either 24 or 25. And <laughs> I can never remember off the top of my head, but 25-ish or so units, short-term rentals, long-term rentals. So pretty well experienced myself. Nice.
0: And he mentioned content before. So all your listeners out there, Brandon puts out a ton of free content. And it's... What I like about uh, Brandon and his content that he puts out is that you can understand it. You know, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of CPAs that I've dealt with in the past. I'm like, I don't know, understand what the heck you're talking about. And Brandon really makes it easy. So definitely check it out and we'll provide that information where to get that. At the end of the podcast, and we've used them before, you know, for some of our real estate transactions. So definitely recommend it. But let's talk about 2021 tax changes. You know, what are the big ones real estate investors should be aware of?
1: Well, the current plan that Biden released last week, or sorry, it was last week, yeah, last week, last Thursday. Today is 11-1. So what was last Thursday? The 28th. I just want to make sure that we get that out there because I expect that this will probably change a little bit even now. So so Biden and the Democratic Party released their framework for the bill. They actually released the bill text as well. And it's a $1.8 or so trillion dollar bill. And they have to figure out how to pay for that $1.8 trillion over the next decade. They have to balance the budget. That's the whole the whole thing behind this. Now, Democratic Party, they've been struggling to get this bill to a vote. And the reason they've been struggling is every Democratic congressman or woman right now has veto power. Because while the Democrats have a majority, it's a very slim majority. So they're presented with this challenge of getting the social spending that they want, that all parties want, right? And you got the like super progressives, and then you have the moderates, right? That could go either way. And so you have these People at the ends of the party kind of at war with each other, not only about the social spending, but also how to raise revenue for it. Who are we taxing and what are we taxing them with? So, we saw an original proposal come out in September that scared a lot of real estate investors. There were IRA provisions in there where, you know, if you had a self directed IRA, you you can't invest in syndications. And if you had already done so, then you had to liquidate your investment. Essentially, it was a retroactive tax because you would have to liquidate your IRA and pay taxes on it. They had land conservation easements retroactive to 2016, basically disallowing the deductions. They had long-term capital gain taxes increasing ordinary income taxes increasing. Kind of a lot of things in there that were kind of scary. Now, there were no 1031 exchange issues that was talked about earlier this year, but never made it into the September bill. And then there was no stepped up basis issue either. So that was also talked about at the beginning of this year, but did not make it into the September bill. But the October bill, the one that was released last week, didn't have any of the IRA provisions didn't have the syndicated conservation easements provisions. And that's not an endorsement of that strategy. They're just not there anymore. The long-term capital gain tax rate has been stripped out of the bill. The ordinary income tax rates have also been stripped out of the bill. So it's a pretty vanilla tax bill. I mean, they're primarily going to pay for this with a 15% corporate minimum tax and... Or corporate uh, alternative minimum tax and funding the IRS. So they're giving the IRS quite a bit of money to raise... They expect that IRS enforcement... Will raise $400 billion, which is a pretty significant portion of the overall package. But I mean, honestly, pretty chill bill at this point, pretty vanilla. We read it and we actually did a podcast episode, Tom and I did that releases tomorrow on Tuesday, 11 2 for the Real Estate CPA podcast, where we kind of go section by section as well. And uh, it's a pretty boring podcast, to be <laughs> totally honest with you. It's like, yeah, not a whole lot in there that's really interesting. There is something for real estate investors to pay attention to if you're investing in like a partnership, uh, like a syndication or a fund, any amount of income you receive back, any sort of distribution is going to be subject to a 3.8% net investment income tax. But it was already subject to net investment income tax. So nothing really big there. But if you're running an S corporation, that's where that 3.8% net investment income tax is going to be an added tax for you. Because a lot of people would run an S corporation, like if I'm a real estate agent, for example... And I'm making I don't know six hundred thousand dollars net income. I might pay myself two hundred thousand W two, and my two hundred K of W two wages is subject to a fifteen point three percent self employment tax that's made up of social security and Medicare. But at a certain point, like I could pay myself six hundred K if I wanted to a W two, but not all of that subject to fifteen point three percent. Some of it's only subject to a three point eight percent tax, the Medicare portion. Because social security drops off. I think social security drops off around like 150 ish or something like that. I don't know that number off the top of my head. Sorry. So you run an S corporation to avoid the entire $600,000 of net income being subject to the self employment tax. And when you run an S corporation, only your W-2 payment is going to be subject to the self employment tax, the 15.3. And then after the threshold, after social security is phased out, 3.8% tax. So what people would do is if I net 600 K, I pay myself a $200,000 W-2 wage and the remaining $400,000 in my company, I just take as a distribution. And I don't pay self-employment taxes on that. So it avoids the 3.8% tax. Well, they added this net investment income tax provision to basically say all income from all entities, like pass-through entities like that, it's going to be subject to a 3.8% tax if you're earning more than $400,000 if you're single. And I think it was either four fifty dollars or five hundred dollars if you're married filing joint. And you're gonna have to pay this 3.8% tax, even if you're running that sort of W-2 loophole, get around. And the purpose is to stop that loophole. So I think S-corporations will become a little less impactful for high-income earners.
0: All right. Good to know because I do have an S-corp, but thankfully, I get the bonus appreciation and and wipes it out. So good to know. Speaking of bonus appreciation, so I know there's... This you know kind of step down of this the way I understand it and it goes down to eighty percent in twenty twenty three and then sixty percent in twenty twenty four is that still the plan or is that changing too that's
1: still the plan yep so bonus depreciation starting in so twenty twenty two is the last year for one hundred percent so if you acquire an asset place it in service twenty twenty two you get one hundred percent bonus depreciation on the personal property associated with that asset but starting in twenty twenty three that 100% number is going to phase down 20% every year until it reaches 0 and so that is still that's still in play and even once bonus depreciation is totally phased out you know people have already started asking which is great we have clients that are like you know I want to plan 10 years from now <laughs> but we have people that are already asking like hey should i worry about cost segregation studies you know if bonus depreciation phases out like this whole real estate strategy that i'm implementing right now is not going to work and it'll work and cost segregation studies will still be important and impactful because you're still front loading the depreciation and you know we want to optimize that time value of money right a dollar today is worth more than a dollar tomorrow so i want to get my tax savings now if i can so we still want to do a cost segregation study it's just not going to be as juicy as it has been
0: so break it down. So let's say you know we buy a fifteen million dollar property. You know the cost seg with bonus is about five million on this property. What's realistically going to be? And I might be like totally hypothetical, but I'm curious. You know what that will look like going forward.
1: Well, so you would still get the same allocation to five, seven, and fifteen year property. You would just be depreciating five year property over five years versus 27 and a half years. So you might, you know, being able to, you know, on a $15 million property, immediately expense $2.7 million of bonus depreciation of property via bonus depreciation. Now you take that $2.7 million over five years, seven years, and 15 years, depending on how it's all split out. So you won't get 2.7 first year. You might get, I don't know, 600K or 700K the first year, something like that.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important to know because I know a lot of real estate friends or have been freaking out over that, and you know, it's good to know that there's still some good benefit there.
1: Yeah, and hey, 2027, I think, is when it reaches. If I did my math right, 2027 is when it reaches zero. It's a long time. It's a long time. I mean, you never know. I mean, we almost had the wealth tax right in this proposal last week that the Biden administration dropped, but they stripped the wealth tax out and opted for a surtax for uber rich people and people earning a lot of money. So, I mean, you never know. There might be changes coming down the pipeline that we can't foresee at this point. So
0: absolutely. Yeah. And a new administration brings their own changes too. So extensions and yeah, all that fun stuff. Yeah. Anything that you know about that might be coming down the pipeline in 2022 as far as tax changes or?
1: Well, yeah. So two things. The first is that this is still a proposed bill has not been voted on or you know, put into law yet. So continue holding your breath. Apparently, there is still ongoing Democratic infighting, which means that it might still change and we might see different tax provisions come and go. So just pay attention to it. Follow or email your CPA, see how you can get on their newsletter or follow us online anywhere. We're talking about it all the time. The second thing, really important thing to understand about 2022, the IRS per this bill, if it passes... Is gonna get forty-four, forty-five billion dollars specifically for enforcement. So they're they're allocating a lot of money to the IRS, but forty-five billion specifically for taxpayer enforcement. And what does that mean? Well, that means increased audits. So if you are earning a lot of money, you're investing in real estate, you're using you know tax losses to offset all your other income, start prepping now for a twenty twenty-two or twenty twenty-three audit. I would expect to see audit rates increase you know q three q four twenty twenty two pretty drastically, and you just don't want to be caught you know red handed you want to have your ducks in a row, you want to have all the documentation you need like in place. you can still change your facts for twenty twenty one now because we're still in twenty twenty one so do some thinking about how you can be proactive about defending yourself against some eventual audit
0: and are there certain things that you that cause red flags for your return? I know some people have said. Some CPAs that don't know cost segregation have claimed, oh, cost segregation is a red flag. And I haven't been told elsewhere that it was, but are there certain things that cause a red flag for an audit?
1: Well, nobody really knows what a red flag is because there's no real data on it that people can point to. What they'll point to is like, you know, people that have Schedule Cs have higher audit rates than people that have partnership LLCs and stuff like that. So there is some objective data, but there's really not, there's not like this like, secret trove of all the red flags. And even if the IRS has them, I wouldn't be publishing them anyway if I were them. So will a cost seg increase your audit risk? You know, The cost seg itself won't, but the tax loss that comes from it could, depending on your other facts and circumstances. If you're in real estate full-time and you're a real estate professional, no question about it, then no, a cost seg tax loss is not going to increase your audit risk relative to anybody else's. But if you have a full-time W-2 job, or if your spouse has a full-time W-2 job and you're claiming these big tax losses against that W-2 job, then yeah, your audit risk is going to go up because now the IRS is questioning whether or not you understand the passive activity rules and if you can even claim that tax loss. So you just have to kind of think about how am I ultimately going to substantiate whatever tax position I'm claiming. In our stance is, hey, even if you do think it's going to increase your audit risk, as long as we feel like we can win, we can substantiate the tax position, then we're going to do that. We're going to substantiate it today. We're not going to substantiate it five years from now because people that lose... Or three years from now. Because people that lose audits are the ones that think about it way too late. They get the audit letter and then they start their time log for real estate professional status. Right? They get the audit letter and then they start creating a receipt management system to track all their business expenses those are the people that lose audits routinely. We've helped them. And a lot of times there's nothing that we can do (laughs) except just try to reduce penalties. But the people that win audits are the ones that are organized. They take this very seriously in terms of making sure that their documentation is in place, their T's are crossed, their I's are dotted. And uh, I mean, think about it. You got an auditor who's trying to close a bunch of cases And if you, out of the fifteen that they're trying to close, you're the most organized, you're the most put together person. They're just going to pass because they know there's not a whole lot of tax revenue there for them to come in and grab. Right? They're going to go after the people that are unorganized that they know are making stuff up retroactively. So, yeah, I mean, there are definitely positions that increase audit risk, whether or not CostSeg does. Just kind of depends on your other facts and circumstances, but you know, expect to be audited. Expect to be audited. If you play with the expectation that you will be sitting down with an IRS agent at some point then you'll take it a little more seriously today and you'll document what you need to today.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. Because I know, you know, we all get lazy sometimes on receipts and marking down like who I'm having a meeting with for a meal, whatever it is. And it's just so important to spend the 30 seconds, be organized, you know, 30 seconds every day, you know, for all your different receipts, goes a lot further than having to spend... I had a friend spend like two weeks of his time preparing for an audit. And that is just... He couldn't do any work. I mean, it was crazy.
1: Yeah. I mean, you have to handle it, right? When an audit comes, you have to handle it. You don't have a choice at that point. And it does take a lot of time, especially if you're unorganized. And you're right. Cause if it means you have to take leave from your job for multiple weeks, that's what you have to do, unfortunately. So yeah, make it easier on your future self by documenting everything today. And just last note on this, you know, we've gone through an era where nobody is scared of the IRS, right? Like everybody thinks it's a joke. And if you look at the history books, you will recognize that that's not how it used to be. When the IRS is well funded, taxpayers are a little bit more careful. They're a little scared of the IRS coming and knocking down their door and demanding tax payment. And if this bill passes, this is a step back towards that kind of fear-based tax enforcement. And maybe fear-based isn't the right word, but the point is is that audits are going to ramp up, and you need to be prepared. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice.
0: Well, as always, tons of great information, Brandon. I really appreciate you adding a ton of value on the subject of taxes. Please tell the listeners where they can find out more about you. Yeah.
1: So we have a Facebook group that I would highly recommend that you go join. It's facebook.com slash groups slash tax smart investors. It's a free group. We've got like 4,400 or so real estate investors in it. They're asking tax questions all the time and got people in there answering those tax questions. So go join that group. But if you're interested in exploring a client relationship, you can hit us up at therealestatecpa.com. And can explore our services there. We've got, we actually just rolled out a brand new sleek looking website, but it's got a lot of good information on there in terms of how we work and what our prices are. And you can check that out if you're interested. All right. Awesome. Awesome.
0: To all of our listeners out there, thanks for listening. And if you like this episode, please head over to iTunes and Stitcher, like, subscribe and review this podcast as it will help us grow our audience and reach more people. And if you'd like to learn more about what we do at Break of Day Capital, head over to breakofdaycapital.com and sign up for our newsletter. We'll talk to you next week. Hey everyone, if you like what you hear on my podcast and wanna learn more, check out my Amazon best-selling book, Best in Class, how to manage your multifamily asset, avoid mistakes and build wealth through real estate. And if you wanna take your learning to a whole nother level, register for my asset management course available on assetmanagementmastery.com. I'll share all the things that we do and many of our resources to help you become a best-in-class operator. Go to AssetManagementMastery.com and step up your game today.